This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Bibles turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, if you would. We're continuing our series entitled Magnify Jesus, which is our theme for the new year. Uh, probably beginning of March time frame, we're going to get into going to uh, probably mid-March, I would say. Uh, we'll get into going verse by verse to the book of Philippians. <clears throat> but before we do that, we're going to take a look at how we can practically in our own lives magnify Jesus, make his name great, make his uh, person great in our own lives so that other people can see. Uh, and we'll be taking a look at that over the next several weeks. Last week, we took a look at this exact same passage of Scripture. We're going to continue on uh, in the passage of Scripture. Last week, we took a look at how we can magnify Jesus through transformation. How God took us and made us his own. <clears throat> we were not originally his children. We were the children of wrath, children of disobedience, the children of the devil. Uh, but we, God has made us his own people uh, by the blood of his son, Jesus. And we're taking a look at what that continues to mean for us today as we take a look at how we magnify Jesus in our living. And so First Peter chapter uh, 2, we're going to start in verse number 1, and we're going to go down through probably verse uh, 18 or so this morning. First um, Peter chapter 2, verse number 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speaking as newborn babes, desire sincere, sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious to him coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore it also contained in the scriptures, behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, that he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Uh, verses one through seven speaks of how our life is different now that we met Jesus Christ. Verse number seven speaks of the fact that uh, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of our life. <coughs> verse number eight. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even unto them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now a people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul having your conversation. Uh, anytime in the Bible you see the word conversation, it speaks of the way that you live or your lifestyle that you have. Having your lifestyle honest among the Gentiles that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, they shall behold and glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves unto every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be unto kings as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with doing well ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, as not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. 
And servants, be subject unto your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. This passage of Scripture speaks about how we as Christians, we that call ourselves followers of God, we that call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, are to live different, distinct lives. Uh, I grew up in church my whole life. I went to church three times a week from the time that I was born until the time I graduated high school. Uh, We never missed a service unless somebody was dead, dying, or in the hospital. Uh, If you were sick, you went to church sick because you're going to sit home sick, so you might as well be sick in church. Now, with coronavirus and the flu going around, I don't recommend that by any means. And so if you're sick, keep your sickness at home. I'm okay with that. Uh, I got no problems with that at all. We have hand sanitizers at all of the doors uh, as well to help you uh, to maintain your health. And so not encouraging you to be here even when you're sick. I'm just saying that's how I grew up. Uh, And so... I, uh, again, grew up with a uh, very disciplined, I guess you could say, church attendance regimen. What I did not grow up with is the idea that Christians live their life distinctively different. The, the kids that were in my youth group in uh, growing up years in high school and in church, uh, they were really no different than the, the public school kids that I hung out with throughout the week. Uh, they cursed, they told dirty jokes, uh, they were uh, sexually immoral, uh, they went to parties, they drank alcohol, they smoked dope. I never saw any distinction between my Christian friends and my unsafe friends whatsoever. As I grew up in my later teen years, I began to see that a lot of the adults in the church, they were good people on Sunday, but throughout the week, uh, not so great people. And I saw very early on that there was a group of Christians or people who called themselves Christians who acted one way on Sunday and acted a different way than other six days of the week. And as a 16, 17-year-old boy, I became very disillusioned with the idea of church or, uh, quote, organized religion. And uh, I knew that I believed the Bible to be true. I believed that God was who he said that he was. But I also, at that time, uh, became very um, distrustful of the local church. And I remember as I uh, graduated high school and I joined the military right out of high school, I remember thinking to myself, I, I, I love God, I love the Bible, but I have no desire to be around a bunch of hypocrites. Now, mind you, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you look back and you see I was one of those hypocrites. I get that. Uh, but I remember thinking to myself, if the Bible's true, then why don't we act like it? And I'll never forget, as long as I live, I had a senior chief in the Navy who was a Christian. He let everybody know that he was a Christian. He had a Bible verse that he had on his his desk at work. And I thought to myself, I'm just going to watch this guy and see how it all plays out and see if he's one of those hypocrites who calls himself a Christian but acts uh, other ways. And I remember the first time he called somebody out for using foul language in our workspace. He said, hey, we don't talk like that around here. Watch your mouth. Wow, This, this guy really believes what he says he believes. And I remember thinking to myself, What if there are Christians out there who really believe the Bible and actually live their life like that? What, how crazy would that be? And it's strange that in the world that we live in today, that's more of an anomaly uh, and it's more of an exception than it is the rule. Friends, that's not how it should be at all. And I wanna challenge you, if you call yourself a Bible-believing Christian, to live your life like a Bible-believing Christian. That means we're different. That means we're distinct. That means there's certain aspects that people look at our life and we're hitting all the check marks along the way. We're meeting the standard that God has set. We're not perfect people. Uh, You're in a room full of sinners this morning who are uh, greatly, greatly in need of God's grace. There's not a perfect person in this room considering this pastor as well. Not one of us have made it yet. But all of us, by the grace of God, can strive to be like Jesus. We're going to fall, we're going to mess up, we're going to make mistakes along the lines. We can never use our sinfulness to excuse our sinfulness. 
In other words, well, I'm a sinner. God knows I'm a sinner, and so that's why I curse as much as I do. No, God's called you to live a higher standard than that. Well, uh, I probably drink too much, but God knows that I struggle with that, and he's forgiving. Yes, he is forgiving, but he does not uh, turn a blind eye to our sinful condition. Our sin is sin before God and needs to be rectified because Christians live differently. We live distinct lives. I remember the very first time I read through the book of Leviticus. I thought, man, I'm gonna read through the Bible in a year. I never read through the Bible before, and there's a Bible in a year plan that uh, back in the day you used to have to, have to like buy a book or find somebody who had charted it all out or uh, maybe some devotional guide somebody had in the back. Now you can go on the internet and download a, uh, a Bible reading plan. Now you can download apps that have the Bible reading plan built in, and as you read it every day, it'll automatically check it off for you. That's awesome too. But I remember the first time I ever read through the Bible for myself. I thought, man, this is so exciting. And I started the book of Genesis. And, oh, Genesis is amazing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it tells the creation story. It tells how God took the dust of the earth and breathed into man the breath of life. And he became a man. And how man named all the animals. And then God saw that it wasn't good that man should be alone. And so he sent a woman to him, Eve, who was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And she would be his companion for all of their life. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. The two of them shall be joined together and shall be one flesh. What a beautiful story. Then we continue on the story of, of Abraham and how a man who, uh, who had faith journeyed out into a land where he didn't know where he was going or what he was doing, and God blessed that. Then you get into the story of, of Joseph and what Joseph did, and an amazing story of Joseph where it ends the book of Genesis. Man, this is a good book. I get to Exodus. I'm all kinds of fired up about a guy by the name of Moses who was a murderer and who was a shepherd, and God says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to lead my children out of Israel out of the hand of, of the strongest ruler in the entire world. And he says, I can't do it. I don't speak well. I have a speech impediment. He says, don't tell me what you can and can't do. I'm telling you, you're going to do it. And God sent Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Israel through all these massive plagues. They got to the Red Sea. They thought they were dead for sure. The enemies was behind them. And God parted the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry land. And then the, the, the waters came back and, and completely and totally drowned that Egyptian army. I'm thinking to myself, this is a phenomenal book. I love this. Genesis Exodus, then comes the book of Leviticus. If you've ever read through the Bible before, Leviticus is not an exciting book. It's just not. I love the Bible. The Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means every single bit of it is good. God gave it to us for a purpose, but Leviticus is just a hard read. There's not any exciting stories that happen in the book of Leviticus. There's not a lot of, uh, of action. There's not a lot of death or drama or blood. Uh, not a lot of that, just a lot of rules. And you look at that and you're like, oh, my soul. And so I have often deemed uh, Leviticus the widow maker of your one-year Bible reading plan. You get to that and you're just like, I just can't do this. This is just not for me. I'm not cut out for this. It's just too hard. Uh, And so um, the book of Leviticus is a hard read. I'll give you that. Because it, it has a lot of rules and regulations and guidelines and specifics. Like when the priest goes in the temple, here's what he needs to wear. Here's how long it needs to be. Here's what type of jewels need to be on there. And here's the order that they need to be in. And you're sitting there and you go, does this really matter? And then down to the letter of the law, of the rules that they have to follow. And if you break these rules, here's all the rules you got to go through to fix what you've broken. And you look at this and you go, wow, this is a really hard read. And so one time, one time, I broke through the book of Leviticus, and I got to the book of Numbers, and Numbers has got some good stories in it, too. It's, it's really good stuff. Uh, the uh, children of Israel are crossing the Jordan River in Numbers chapter 32, and God says, if you just go in, I promise you, you'll have victory. They cross the Jordan River, and they have victory, and they get into the promised land, and then comes the book of Deuteronomy, 
And you know what the word Deuteronomy literally means? Second law giving. That means we're gonna go through the book of Leviticus again. And so Deuteronomy, again, has all of God's rules and regulations again a second time so that the children of Israel would remember what God had spoken. And again, I'm not belittling the Bible. I'm just saying it's a hard read. It was, it was hard. And, and a lot of folks throughout time have asked the question, why did God have all these rules for the children of Israel? Why did God require Israel to keep the law? Why? Why was it that there were certain types of food that they couldn't eat? They couldn't eat shellfish. Uh, they couldn't eat uh, of any animal with a cloven hoof. They couldn't eat pork. That means no bacon for the Jews. How terrible is that? Just that alone. Like, keep the rest of the law, but no bacon? Come on, right? It's a tough one. Why would God do that? Here's why God did that. Because God wanted to show his power through a chosen people that could be identified by their unique adherence to his commands and trust in his sovereignty. Think with me for just a second. God creates everything, but not everybody yet knows God. God created every person, but they don't know who he is. And this concept baffles us sometimes because Moses himself in the book of Exodus is having a face-to-face conversation with God audibly. And God says, go and set my people free. Go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And here's what Moses says. Okay, um, I'll do it. But if they ask me who sent me, what should I tell them? I don't even know what your name is. So the idea that everybody just automatically knew Jehovah, Yahweh God in the Bible and recognized him and respected him as God is just not the case at all. Think about this. This is a crazy concept for you and I to wrap our minds around. But imagine this, that in the first three or four books of the Bible, God is actually developing a reputation for himself. Strange to think of, right? That God would need to like build credibility with someone. He's God, he doesn't need credibility, he just is. But these people don't know who God is. They've never heard God the way that Moses heard God. They've never heard the word of God before. And so God needs some way to show that he's awesome. God needs some way to give credibility to the guidelines that he's given to them so that he can say, these are my people. So God chose him a people, the children of Israel, that he says, I'm gonna use these people to show everybody on the planet how awesome I am. And I'm gonna do things for them that I'm not gonna do for anybody else. I'm gonna bless them in ways that I'm never gonna bless anybody else. And they will have smashing success in everything that they do because they're my people. And everyone will know that when you follow the God of the Israelites, you're blessed. When you follow the God of the Israelites, everything seems to work itself out. When you follow the only God that really exists, this is where you see the good stuff. And your uh, notes is some verses this morning from Leviticus chapter 26. Again, God's gotten down to the end of his law. He's given all these rules, regulations, and guidelines. And again, I think they were probably saying, okay, God will do it, but why? He says this, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I'll give you rain in due season. The land shall yield or increase. The trees of the field shall yield its fruit. Your threshing shall reach unto the vintage, and the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time. You'll have enough food to go around, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. And I'll give peace in the land, and you'll lie down, and none shall make you afraid. 
I'll rid evil beasts out of the land. Neither shall sword go through your land, and you'll chase your enemies, and they'll fall by you before your sword. And five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. You're gonna be so outnumbered, but they're gonna run for their lives because I'm your God. For I'll have respect unto you and make you fruitful and multiply you and establish my covenant with you. And ye shall eat old store and bring forth the old because of the new. And I'll set my tabernacle among you. That means God says, I will bring my spirit to dwell among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and I will be your God and ye shall be my people. I'm gonna do something awesome and I've chosen you to do it through. Everyone on this planet will know that I am God because of what takes place in your life. So God gave them this law so that people would look and they go, oh, those are Israelites. Those are the children of God. Those are God's people. Don't mess with them. Hey, I saw this camp over here. We should totally take everything. They got. No, no, don't do not do that. Those guys are Israelites. Don't touch them. Don't mess with them. Let them be. And the times that people do think that they're going to take the Israelites, again, they completely and totally mow them down. It's like not even a fair fight. Why? Because God's on their side. And God says in the Old Testament, I'm gonna make a special people, the children of Israel, the Jewish people, and I'm going to do something special for them so that everybody can know the greatness of myself. So God really chose the children of Israel to be his people for the sole purpose of making his name great and giving himself glory. That's a big deal. Why? Because as you follow along your notes here this morning, why does God require us to keep his commandments? Why does God give us rules and guidelines to follow? Why does God say to us that we should be holy, we should be righteous, we should do the right thing? We should honor every man. Why does he say things like that? Exact same reason, because God wants to show his power through a chosen people that could be identified by their unique adherence to his commands and trust in his sovereignty. God wants to make his name great, not thousands of years ago in the Bible, but today in 2020, why? So by the way of seeing people like you and I that really believe the Bible, whose life is different, where they can say, whoa, those people follow God. I don't fully understand why they do everything that they do, but those people are unique. They're special. Man, you know, I dropped some stuff in the parking lot and a person came over and, and picked it up and said, God bless you when they left. They must be a Christian. I guess Christians are the type of people that do stuff like that. Somebody stopped me and helped me change my tire on the side of the freeway. I guess, and they said, God bless you. Give me an invitation to church. They must be a Christian. There's a guy at my workplace, he doesn't cuss, and he doesn't gossip about other people. He puts in a full day's work and even when other people don't. He does good quality work and he does it on time. He says he goes to church. I guess that's how Christians are. That's the idea, is that the work that we do, the way that we act, our conversation, the word the Bible uses, our lifestyle, would point people to the greatness of our God. Because we now are his chosen people. Again, if you go look back up in our text that we have this morning, uh, you'll see that uh, in verse number nine here, he's speaking to Christians. He's not speaking to Jews. He's not speaking to the children of Israel. He's talking to those who are Christians. Verse number nine, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar or a purchased people. Why? So that you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
Now, the children of Israel will always be God's chosen people. That's why we as Americans, we don't want to mess with Israel. We always want to be friends with Israel. And the land that God's promised to Israel belongs to Israel. That's not a political statement. That's a biblical statement. And we always need to be really good friends with Israel because God's promised his blessing upon them. Do they reject Jesus Christ as Messiah? They do. They'll stand in God's judgment one day when they stand before God for that. But in the meantime, God's hand of blessing will always be upon Israel. But here, God's saying, my chosen nation no longer is Israel. My chosen nation is now Christians, those who follow Jesus Christ, those who have been adopted into my family. They're chosen now. They're special now. Why? Not because there's something special about you, but because God wants his name to be made great. God wants people to look at our lives and say, wow, they're different because they're Christians. Tell me more about this God that they follow. You see, first of all, we were saved, verse number 10, we were saved to show forth God's glory. You see, before we met Jesus, we weren't a people, verse number 10, but in time past, you were not a people, but now are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Again, none of us are born automatically into the family of God. There has to be a time, a date, a place where you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, where you were born again. Has there been a time in your life where you've been born again? Again, you weren't always a Christian. You might have always believed in God as long as you can remember, but there must have been a time that you put your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior. Because this says here, you used to not be a people. You used to have no mercy. You only had God's wrath and judgment. But have you been saved The only way that you can be saved is by putting faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. Showing up at this church on a Sunday morning does not do anything for your eternal salvation. And again, just because you go to a Christian church doesn't make you a Christian. Has there been a time in your life where you've put your faith in Jesus as Savior? Jesus said, no man shall enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. You can't go to heaven without being saved. And when you're saved, everything in your life should change because now you're a Christ follower. Now you're a child of God. Now you've been adopted into his family. Now you're part of his his royal priesthood. Now you're part of his holy nation that he's called out. But you weren't saved just so that you wouldn't go to hell. That's a great side benefit for sure. You weren't saved just so that your life could be better. That's That's a great fringe benefit of being a child of God. You were saved to show forth the glory of God. How well are you doing with that? If I were to give you a letter grade, an A through F, in showing the glory of God in the last seven days in your life, what would that look like for you? And you might say, well, it wasn't too bad, so I'm probably like a, like a C. C's average, right? How many of your parents were happy when you brought home a C because it was average? Mine certainly weren't, right? You might look at that and you go, well, you know, um, I think I'm doing better than I was. You know, I'm probably at a, maybe a D plus at this point. Hey, No, the whole purpose that you were saved was to show forth the glory of God. How do we do that? We do that in the way that we live. Our lifestyle reflects the glory of God. This is accomplished by living a changed life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Hey, when I got saved, things should have changed in my life. I got saved when I was a nine-year-old boy. I would describe the church that I grew up in as a a carnal church and the fact that there was no desire for holiness and righteousness just to keep showing up every week. 
And so I have to say that there was never really any change in my life until my early 20s when I decided to start walking with Jesus on a daily basis. But when I committed my life to walking with Jesus, everything changed, everything. The music that I listened to, the movies that I watched, the people that I spent time with, the entertainment that I found amusing, my words that I used in the workplace, the way that I treated other people, the way that I spent my own personal time that I had, the things that I was involved with, the activities that I found uh, entertaining. I started reading the Bible. I started praying. I started looking for ways that I could help and love and serve other people. When I began to hear people say negative things that always try to shut it down and try to bring something positive out of the situation. Oh, I can't believe it's raining today. Yeah, but imagine how green it's gonna be in about a week or so. Man, it's gonna be awesome, isn't it? Just trying to turn things around. So-and-so, he's a jerk. I know, but he's been putting his time in. He's probably having a bad day. Just let him be. Try to find something positive. God changed something inside of me. During that period of time, I'll tell you, to this day, I would say that I'm an introvert by nature. That's just who I am. It's how I'm, how I'm wired. I get nervous around people. I'm, I'm socially awkward. I know that about myself. I don't need you to tell me that. And I don't need you to say amen this morning either. Uh, I, I'm weird. I, I admit that. And I feel awkward around other people. And so I didn't like being around people at all. But the more that I begin to dig into my heart, I realize it's not because of me, it's because of me. Selfishness, pride. I'm worried about what other people think about me. I'm, I'm, I'm worried that you know, other people will find out that I'm weird. Other people will say, that guy's totally boring to talk to. I'm worried about what people would think about me and I realize I don't love other people because I love myself too much. And here's what I did. I asked God, God, would you give me a love for people? Would you change my heart? And you know what God did? He changed my heart. I love people. I'm still weird. I'm still awkward. It's still hard for me to carry on a conversation. And he said, oh, Pastor, you do a great job. I fake it really well. I know I do. Uh, but it's hard for me. It really is. And if you ever catch me standing in line at like the DMV or something like that, I don't want to talk to nobody, right? It's just like, I just wanted my own space. Let me be. Uh, and so, um, but I asked God to give me a heart for people. And you know what he did? He changed me. It wasn't overnight. It was gradual over time, but God gave me a heart for people where I, I legitimately love people now. God wants to change you. He wants to change you to be more like his son, Jesus. This is accomplished by living a Christ-like life. If you're a newer Christian, you say, well, I don't even really know where to start here. Great. Let me give you a couple of pointers. First of all, every Christian should go through some form of discipleship. We have our discipleship training starts this Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you say, I can't make it on Wednesdays at 7, let me know when you can make it, we'll, we'll set it up. Every Christian should go through some form of discipleship where you sit with another Christian and you learn the Bible. We have people who are willing to teach you in a one-on-one -on -one environment. Guys with guys, ladies with ladies, sometimes couples with couples. To sit you down, to teach you the Bible, everything you need to know to grow as a Christian. I wanna do that for you. Second thing, if you say, I don't have time for discipleship, or I've already gone through discipleship, good. Read your Bible. Read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the story of Jesus. And just look at how Jesus dealt with people. Watch the things that Jesus said. Look at his interaction with people who could do nothing for him. What did he do? He loved them. He served them. Hey, just follow what Jesus did. Follow his example. And when we're faced with this scenario, we should say, how would Jesus handle this situation? What's the right thing to do? 
I got my taxes done this week. Oh, I hate, I hate paying taxes. Let me just say that. It's necessary. I realize it. I just hate paying taxes. Got all my taxes done. It's fine. I owe this year. That's always a bummer, isn't it? Isn't it good when you have money coming to you that you didn't realize you had coming to you? It's like, wow, this is awesome. And then you got to pay. Oh, it's terrible. So we had to pay this year. So I got my taxes. No, this is not, a, I'm not making this up. I did my taxes on a Thursday afternoon this past week. I got to pay. It's fine. Cut a check, send it off, be done with it. <laughs> I get an email on Friday morning of a 1099 form where someone had given me money that I'd forgotten that I'd gotten and I didn't claim it on my taxes. It's not a lot of money. It meets the threshold. I forget what the threshold is, four or $500 or something like that. It, it, a little bit above the threshold, but it's not a lot. I didn't claim it as income. What did I do? Here's the thing. I had, I had to pay somebody to do my taxes this year because I got tax drama, I'll put it that way. And so now I'm going to have to go back and I'm going to have to pay for an amendment for this. It's not a lot of money. Uncle Sam will never miss it. It's not that big of a deal. But what am I going to do tomorrow morning? I'll make a tax appointment to make an amendment to my taxes to file this 1099 that I probably shouldn't have to do to probably end up paying more money on top of the taxes, tax money that I'm already paying anyways. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. Well, I don't agree with what the government does with our taxes. I don't either. But if you read this passage of scripture, it says, obey every ordinance of man. Follow the law. That's what Christians do. And so I hate paying taxes as much as anybody else. But I'm going to do it because it's the right thing. I'm going to pay some guy to amend my taxes so that I can do the right thing. It's an insignificant amount of money, but it's the right thing to do. Now, am I a saint for that? No. Does it make me a saint? I drove in the carpool lane this week when I wasn't supposed to. And I repented and I made it right before God, okay? But I did it. You know why? Because my heart said to myself, you got too much time to deal with other stuff. You don't need to be stuck in traffic. Five lanes going 10 miles an hour and there's one lane that's wide open and people are flying. You deserve to fly today. <laughs> and I said, you're right, I do. And I got over in the carpool lane. Now, it was 8.50 in the carpool lane at 9 o'clock goes to regular traffic, so I was only 10 minutes early. But again, I justified in my mind, I can do the wrong thing because it's almost close, it's almost right, and I got a lot of stuff going on today. Do you see where that thought process leads? That's just a condition of my sinful heart. And you go, oh, my soul, the only problem you've got in your life is driving the carpool. I didn't say that. I'm saying this is an indication of my sinful heart. We've got to be careful with that. You know why? Because Christians are different. I would have been embarrassed had I gotten pulled over and one of you folks rolled by while the police officer's out there writing me a ticket and be like, oh, what were you doing? I was driving in the carpool lane when I wasn't supposed to. Oh, did you not know? Oh, no, I fully knew what I was doing. I even looked on ways to see if there were any police cars that people had spotted along the way. I'm just being honest, all right? And you laugh because you've done the exact same thing, right? Come on. This is not how Christians live. We're different. We're distinct. We follow the rules. We follow the guidelines, even when other people don't, because we're called to live like Jesus. We're called to live a counterculture life. Take a look at verse number 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Take a look at verse number 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. You know what that means? 
This world is not your home. You're a stranger here. And again, when you cozy up to this world, you're no longer an effective Christian. You say, well, that's a pretty hard thing to say, Pastor. I didn't say it. The Bible says it. Friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. That's what the Bible says. And this world is not your home. When I was a kid, we used to sing a song, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I mean, you know that song. Yeah, it's like a good, like, country bluegrass. Uh, like, this world, world is not my home. I'm just passing through. It's good. You should listen to it. It's probably on YouTube somewhere with some guy with a banjo and a really long beard. You should listen to it. It's awesome, right? We never sang it in this church because I hate the chorus because it says, the chorus says this, Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. That's good. If heaven's not my home, oh, Lord, what will I do? Well, there's only one answer to that, and that's to burn in the lake of fire for all of eternity. And the question is, why would you question where your eternal destiny is if you know Jesus Christ is Savior? It's a terrible song from a theological standpoint, but it's fun to sing, right? Uh, but we never sing it here because it's not theologically accurate. Anyways, sidetrack, let's say, this world is not our home. Don't get too comfortable here. We're just passing through this place for a short period of time. Don't put down roots here. You say, are you saying like we shouldn't make a life? No, I'm telling you that this world is not your home, that when you focus on everything in this life, you're missing the point of living for eternity. In our life, we don't follow the trend of the day. We're called to live counterculture. Why? Because this world's not my home. I'm a stranger. I'm a pilgrim. The Bible also uses another word for Christians, aliens. <laughs> like not even from this world. Distinct. Different. Not following the trends of the day. Not trying to be trendy. I was talking with some friends this week during discipleship, and I told them, every single thing that we do at this church is biblical. That's why we do it. Why do we sing every single Sunday morning when we get together? Because the early church gathered together, and they sang hymns and spiritual songs. Why do we hear preaching from the Word? Because the church got together seven days a week. We only get together man, three or four days a week here. But seven days a week, they would get together. They would hear the Bible taught. They would discuss it, and they would change their life based on that. Why do we have an incredibly long handshaking time that makes people feel awkward? Because the Bible says the early church got together and they just spent time together. We call it fellowship. They developed community amongst each other. That's why we do that. At the end of every service, we offer our tithes and offerings and first fruit giving to the Lord. Why do we do that? Because the Apostle Paul commanded the church of Corinth on the first day of the week, let every man lay inside in store as God hath prospered him. So we receive an offering every week because the Bible tells us to. The apostles gathered together for their last time with Jesus and spending time together with him. The Bible says they sang a hymn before they, they split. So every Sunday before we leave, we sing a song and then we split. And then also a lot of times they would gather together and they'd have lunch together after worship. And so a lot of times people after Sunday service will go out, grab lunch together or get together even throughout the week sometimes for fellowship. You know why? Because that's biblical. It's why we do what we do. We don't do anything because of tradition. People have said things before like, well, well preaching's kind of outdated, isn't it? I don't know. The Bible commands us to do it, so we do it. Well, it'd be a lot easier if like, like, like pastor like got a stool on stage and just kind of told some jokes and showed some funny videos on the screen and, and like allowed people to like come up and dialogue and we got 
thought leaders from different schools of thought up on the platform. We could like expand our horizons and stuff. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, there's a lot of churches that do that, but it's not biblical. We just do what we do because the Bible commands it. Well, it might not really be popular these days. People are, are kind of getting tired of the whole like sing a few songs and hear some preaching and, and, and take an offering and go home. Well, then, then they get tired of a biblical model of, of worshiping God. I think you got to do it in that order or something like that. I'm just saying. We're not called to adopt our lives to the culture. We're called to stand fast in face of the culture. And we're not always going to be popular, and that's okay. This is not a popularity contest. This is not a political correctness contest because we're probably going to end up losing that at some point too, as we already are. But we continue to stand for biblical values. Simple as that. Biblical values does not mean that we hate anybody, period, ever. This passage here even says, honor all men, everybody. Treat everybody with love, dignity, and respect. Even people you disagree with, even people who don't see things the way that you do, even people that hate you and hate our God. That's the Bible says, pray for them, love them, serve them. Well, that's different than the way our world lives. Yeah, counterculture is what we're talking about. How do we do this? First of all, we put our flesh to death. We don't live for ourselves. We live for Jesus. We don't live for what we want or what's comfortable for us. We live for Jesus. We're willing to make difficult sacrifices for our faith. You know why? Because we believe it. This is the real deal. I'm willing to stand up and be counted a Christian. I'm not just gonna tell people that I'm I'm a spiritual person with my own value system. No, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, whatever that means to you. I hope it means something good. If not, I want to show you something good that it means. Because I put my flesh to death. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with affections and lust, Galatians 5 says. And you know what? We live with a higher purpose than self-gratification. It's not just about what I want or what I can get or how I can be happy or how I can find fulfillment in this life. Because let me tell you this, when you become the center of your life, everything falls apart, guaranteed. Because you begin trying to fill your life with things that you think will bring happiness, a new job, a new car, a new place to live. And you come to find out those things don't ever bring the lasting satisfaction and fulfillment that you thought that they would. No. We live for the glory of God. We live so that Jesus Christ can be seen in us. We don't live for our own self. We don't live for self-gratification We live for Jesus. And that's the opposite of what our culture says. But you see, when you become the center of your world, then all the rules change. Because in your marriage, you can ask questions like, well, don't I deserve to be happy? Don't I deserve to be with someone who makes me happy? When do I get my turn of taking care of me? Taking care of my wife and all these kids, who takes care of me? Oh, you're asking the wrong question because you're the center of your worldview. But the question is now, how can I I glorify Christ through my life? How can I glorify Christ through my marriage? How can me serving my wife give God glory? How can me raising my kids to love Jesus and know the Bible give God glory? How can our family be different, distinct, on our street, in our building, on our block, in our workplace, in our schools? How can we be different because of our faith in Christ? Man, that's the right question to ask. Not about what can I get from this. 
Galatians 2.20, the apostle Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, hey, Paul's dead. Only Jesus is alive in here. Not about what Paul wants anymore. It's about what Jesus wants through me. Paul committed his life to that. Paul would ultimately die a martyr's death because of his faith. He wrote many of the uh, epistles from prison because he got put in jail for preaching Christ. You find in the book of Acts, Peter was thrown in jail for preaching Christ. An angel came and let him out. You know what he did as soon as he got out? He started preaching Christ. Wait, wait, wait. You already went to jail once? He said, yeah, I'll go to jail again. It's fine. Because again, it wasn't about himself. It was about glorifying Christ. Christians should live distinctly Christian lives. This, this, this is so simple. It even, it's embarrassing to have to state it and have you write it down on a sheet of paper. Christians live distinctly Christian lives. People should be able to pick us out of a crowd. People should be able to pick us out at the workplace. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to travel into places like Pennsylvania and stuff like that where they have like a large Amish community and you can pick these folks out in their buggies or their long uh, black clothes that they have. I had a guy who was, um, I can't remember if it was Mennonite or, or Amish, but they were only allowed to buy black cars. I like black. Black's my favorite color. So like, that's cool. Uh, so black clothes, black cars. If you had a buggy, it had to be black, you know. I don't know if they like painted their houses black. That would be weird. But um, like it had to. And you could pick these people out of a crowd because of the way that they dressed. Christians don't have a dress code that we have to follow. Praise the Lord for that. But we have a code of behavior that we follow that people should be able to pick us out really easily. Hey, if you roll into work with a foul mouth, reeking of booze, tearing down your wife, for me, that's a good indication that you're probably not a Christian because Christians don't act that way. Or if you are a Christian, and again, oh, I want to stop here for just a second. Don't ever, under any circumstances whatsoever, judge another person's salvation based on their behavior. I want to put a caveat there right quick. Because there were times in my life and probably times in your life where you were saved, you were a Christian on your way to heaven, but you weren't living right, you were living in opposition to God, you were wayward, and God was chastising you and trying to bring you, bring you back. It's a dangerous thing to ever say so-and-so is not saved because of the way that they're living. I'm just saying if you're living that way, that's not the way that Christians live. How about that? People should be able to look at our lives and say, something's different about that guy. He talks about God a lot. I see him every time before he eats, even if he's eating a Pop-Tart, he always bows and prays. And man, praying for a Pop-Tart's a good thing to do. Pop-Tarts, the strawberry with the icing, mmm, that's good stuff. And a toaster, not the microwave, though. That's really important, too. Um, and never cold. That's ter- You are savage if you eat Pop-Tarts cold. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, pray. Uh, praying for your meals. That's what Christians do. It's, it's how we act. When we go to a restaurant and we pay our bill, we always leave an invitation to church that has a gospel on the back of it. Why? Because we want people to know Jesus Christ. And here's what I've started doing too. Now we're, we're, we're going out to eat with a two-year-old. Our, our daughter, Tulu is two. And she makes a wreck of everything on the table. 
everything on the table. Oh, man, she's a mess. And it's not just the table, it's under the table. And so I've even gone so far as to do this. When it's our time to leave, I'll tidy up the table and at least try to put everything on one plate. And then I'll go under the table and pick up all the food and stuff like that and put it back on the table. Why? Because I left an invitation to our church on the table. Because people go, these Christians, oh my word, their kids are terrible. My kid is terrible, I'm sorry. Um, I'm working on that part though, all right? Their kids are terrible. Their table was a wreck. The underneath of their table was a wreck. And then they tipped $2 on a $100 bill. Christians think they're better than everybody else. Nope, not me. And here's the thing. At the end of the day, I don't want people to think poorly of our family because I don't want people to think poorly of our God. Frankly, at the end of the day, I don't care what people think about me. I want people to think great things about our God. So I tidy up the table. I'm super nice. I've taught my kids to say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, to, be, to say thank you when somebody brings something, to leave a generous tip, a gospel track, and try to clean up as much as I can after a, a, a Tasmanian devil of a two-year-old, right? Why? Because Christians are different for the purpose of pointing people to the glory of our God. I challenge you, live a distinctly Christian life. I was talking to my son, uh, Vanderlei, a few weeks ago. We'd gone to visit a cal- uh, college in California, and we were talking uh, while we were uh, headed to the airport. And he says, yeah, I was telling so-and-so about our family. And I thought, what did you tell her about our family? You know, like, I'm interested, like, how do you describe our family? Because our family's crazy. I don't know how you describe it, but um, how did you describe our family? Well, I just told her, you know, that we're, my parents are, like, really strict. What? Strict? Are you like that's one of the first things you thought of? Is my parents are really true? No, I just said like you know you guys are like really super involved in our lives, and you know you want to make sure that we're headed the right direction, that we're doing the right thing. So like, there's nothing that gets past you guys because you're always on top of it. And he goes, and like the type of movies that we watch, and the music that we listen to, and the places that we go, and like. I'm not allowed to go over to somebody's house if you don't know their parents and their parents aren't going to be home. And so uh, he said, I guess as I'm describing that, that's not really strict. That's really just like, I don't know, like parents who care? Yes. Hello. And he's like, yeah, I guess it's not like strict after all. I mean, it's just, I guess you, you guys just really care about me. Yes. Absolutely. And so here's the idea. We're not strict for the sake of being strict. We're different, we're distinct, we're holy, we're called to a higher calling. It's not about us, it's all about Jesus. Look at this next, we're not good for the sake of goodness, but for the glory of God. Verse 12, having your conversation or your lifestyle honest among the Gentiles. When he uses the word Gentiles here, it's not just talking about non-Jews, it's talking about non-Christians, those who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. Your life should be right among unsaved people. That whereas they may speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which shall they behold, shall glorify God in the day of visitation. Even those who oppose us should recognize our virtue, righteousness, love, gracious, and humility. They should recognize that. Hey, hey, I don't believe what that guy believes. 
I don't believe that there's a God in the heaven who had a son named Jesus who died on the cross to pay for everybody's sins and the people who don't believe in Jesus are gonna go to hell and those, or those who do believe in Jesus will go to heaven. I don't believe all that, but at least that's a solid dude. One of the best workers we got, you know? I, I know if I was in trouble, I could go to that guy and he would help me. I know that gal, she prays before every meal and she prays about the, I know that if I got sick, she's probably one of the first people that I would call. I know that if I got sick, she'd make me a meal and bring it to my family. I know if I really needed somebody, they would help. I don't believe what they believe, but I know if I broke down on the side of the freeway, they'd come pick me up. I believe that. That's what the Bible says that our lives should reflect. That's how we should be distinctly different. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.16. It's probably one page over from where you're at in your Bible right now. Having a good conscience that whereas they may speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation or your good lifestyle in Christ. That if somebody was gonna say something bad about you, they should be ashamed for even saying it. Well, that Bob, he's such a jerk. I've got all this Christian thing going on, all holier than that. Bob, are you serious? He's one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. <laughs> what planet are you from, man? I don't believe what he believes. He, the guy's a solid dude. That they would be ashamed to make any accusation against you because your life says otherwise. Nope. Distinct. Different. Don't just call yourself a Christian. Just don't show up to church once a week. I'm talking about living a legitimate Christian life every single day so that people who don't even believe what you believe can recognize a difference in your life. Godly character reflects the glory of God. Verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Obey the law. Why? because God's given you people over you to make the laws for you, obey the law. Obey ordinance of man. Don't ride in the carpool lane when you don't have two people in the car and it's not time yet. Just don't do it. Why? Because God's watching and you're better than that. Verse 14, or sorry, whether it be in a king or a supreme or to governors is them that send are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You see, we obey earthly authority to honor God's sovereignty. I feel like those that are important like me should be able to drive in the carpool lane when they don't have two people in the car. I feel like I should even be able to use the zipper lane, right? Because I got, I got stuff to do, you know? It's not what the Bible says. Nope. You obey the law because God is sovereign. Now, the book of Acts gives us a solid principle to follow that if it comes down to obeying God or obeying man, we're gonna obey God. Hey, they make it against the law for me to preach the gospel. You know what I'm gonna do? Preach the gospel. Hey, they make it illegal for you to share your faith with other people. You know what you should still do? Share your faith with other people. They told Daniel, Daniel, you can't pray. You know what Daniel did? No problem. Bust open the windows and the front door of his house. And he knelt down and prayed as loud as he could pray. You know why? He's like, uh, if it's God-given laws and man-given laws, I'm gonna follow God's instead. But you know what God says? As long as their laws don't conflict with mine, go ahead and follow them. Now, again, if I ever, as a pastor, have to say that evil is good and good is evil, I'm gonna disobey the law, and you should too. 
But the Bible says that when we obey earthly authority, we give recognition to God's sovereignty. I had to meet with a member of the school administration where my son goes to school this past week. And I had a tense, tense conversation. I was very firm. And I told the guy that I met with, you're 100% wrong on this call that you're making. 100%. Wrong, 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 wrong. But I support you, I back you, and I'll tell my son that you're on it. You know why? Because he's the authority and I'm not. And when I give respect to authority, I'm recognizing the sovereignty of God. So when it comes to, to teachers, school administration, always have their back. You know why? Because they're the authority. I might disagree with things that our mayor does or things that our governor does, but you know what? I respect them and I recognize that they're God's authority. I disagree with things that our president does. You know what I do? I pray for him and I respect him because he is our God-given authority. That's what the Bible says. Some people have asked before, does your church support President Trump? (laughs) I don't know how to answer that because we're not really a political organization. We're a Jesus-focused organization. But I will tell you this, we respect our president, we pray for our president, and we respected and prayed for President Obama. I respected and prayed for President George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, President Clinton. Respect them and pray for them. The Bible commands it. Do you agree with everything they do? I don't agree with everything I do. <laughs> no. Well, do you support them? I support authority because authority is given by God. You want to turn this into a political thing? Not a political thing at all. We're totally outside of politics because we have one king, his name's Jesus, and he has told us, respect authority. Love and respect towards all people shows God's unconditional love to a dark world. Verse 17 says this, three words, honor all men. Honor all men, simple as that. Somebody disrespects you, honor them. Someone's unkind, honor them. Someone treats you unfairly, unkindly, says lies about you, honor them. Somebody hates God, honor them. Somebody's living a wicked, sinful lifestyle, love them and honor them. It's a biblical command. And when you treat people with hatred and disrespect, you're the opposite of Christ. Opposite. No room for it. Period. End of story. And again, You're going to treat somebody differently based on the color of their skin, the job that they have, the neighborhood that they live in, how much money they make. You're not a Christian according to the Bible because Christians don't act that way. None. We're different. Totally different. Final thoughts this morning and we're done. First of all, my lifestyle either validates or betrays my Christian testimony. The way that you live either backs up what you believe or it makes you a liar. This is not in your notes, but you need to write this down. Your belief determines your behavior. What you believe isn't what you say you believe. What you believe is how you really live. And your belief determines your behavior. And your lifestyle either backs up the fact that you're a Christian or it says, you call yourself a Christian, but not according to the Bible. Think about it this way. 
If someone were to follow you around for the next seven days and take meticulous notes on everything that you did or said in your home, in your workplace, in the car, when you think nobody's there, they took meticulous notes. Would there be enough evidence at the last end of the last seven days to convict you of being a Christian? Would there be enough stuff to back that up? If not, we might need to take a look at the way that we live our lives. My lifestyle either gives God glory or detracts from his glory. Either people look at my life and they say, what a great God. Or they look at my life and they say, all Christians are phonies and hypocrites. I knew it. Hey, I grew up in a church full of people who gave me all the ammo that I needed to believe that church was full of fakes, phonies, and hypocrites. And you know who sits back and finds great joy in pronouncements like that? The devil, because he hates the church and he hates Jesus and he hates Christians. And I refuse to be a part of a carnal, sinful, wicked church that plays church on Sunday and then lives for the devil the other six days of the week. I got no time for that, and you don't either. So we're gonna live different. We're gonna be different. And our life's gonna point people to Jesus Christ. Our lifestyle either helps the gospel message or hurts it. What is the gospel message? That Jesus Christ died for the sins of mankind that he paid the price on the cross, he was buried and he rose again the third day, victorious over sin, death, and the grave so that you and I could be saved and live a different life. I was with you too, you hit that different life point because I don't see that in you. Yeah, our life either helps the gospel message or it hurts it. Man, may God help us if our life ever hurts the gospel message. God help us. I want my life to point people to Jesus. To be like, oh yeah, I knew Anthony before he started walking with Jesus. Totally different guy. Totally different guy. Hey, I remember Anthony 10 years ago and he's not the same guy as he was 10 years ago. Hey, I know Anthony from five years ago and he's totally a lot more like Jesus than he was five years ago. I want my life to bolster, give strength to the gospel message. And my life either magnifies Jesus and makes him huge, great, and awesome, or it diminishes him, puts him down. Yeah, I, I, I can't do that on Sunday mornings. I have a, a group that I attend on Sunday mornings. <laughs> a group of people, we get together and uh, sing. Oh, it's just like a karaoke group. No, we uh, uh, sing, and then someone gives a motivational talk. I'm uh, uh, kind of tied up on Sunday mornings because uh, I have this group that I go to. No, I'm a Christian. Christians don't do stuff like that. I'm sorry, I can't attend this event because I'm a Christian and my values just don't line up with that. I've had to, had to say to good, good people, I love you, but I can't attend your wedding reception because there's gonna be alcohol there and I just can't be around that. I can't, I'm sorry, I love you and I'm for you, I just can't do it, I'm a Christian. I'm sorry, I love you and I appreciate you, I can't be a part of this thing you asked me to be a part of because it would violate my values that I have, I'm a Christian. And if you'd like to know why I'm from the Bible, I'd be happy to show you that, but I just can't because I'm a Christian. And my life will either magnify Jesus and make him great or it'll diminish him and make him really, look really small. And again, if I treat people with love, respect, humility, honor, that magnifies Jesus. I treat people with judgment, anger, pointing a finger, talking about how I'm better than them, that diminishes Christ. It's antichrist. No, no, no. 
I want the way that I live my life to magnify Jesus, to make his name great. Maybe you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, friend. You can't magnify Jesus in your life because Jesus isn't in your life. You must be born again. There must be a time in your life where you've been saved. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, please don't leave here until you know for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven's your home. Maybe you're a Christian here. You say, Pastor, I've been saved, but I'm not living for Jesus the way that I should. Would you confess your sin to God and lay it down and make it right today so that you can magnify Jesus in your life? Maybe there's sin that needs to go. Man, let it go today. Maybe you say, I just haven't been consistent. I haven't been real about it. Maybe some of you need to, to come out, for lack of a better term, as a Christian and say, I'm willing to set, stand up and say I'm a Christian. I'm not embarrassed about it. I'm gonna take my Bible to work and set it on my desk. Maybe somebody will ask me, hey, what is that? Hey, maybe I'm gonna take a who you call a sticker and put it on my, my water bottle or my laptop and somebody asks you, like, oh, you go to church? Oh, yeah, let me tell you about it. But please, please understand this. Don't get yourself a who we call a sticker and put it on the back of your car and drive 90 miles an hour in the carpool lane bumping M&M, okay? Don't do it. Don't. Don't get yourself a who we call a t-shirt and have uh, a party over at your house and have six beers and not be able to stand up in your front yard when somebody calls the cops you're standing there with a who we call a t-shirt on. Don't do it. kind of a funny illustration, but don't call yourself a Christian if you're not going to live like it. So call yourself a Christian, be thankful for it, and live like it. Not so that people look and say, what a great guy he is, but so people look and say, what a great God he serves. Think about that this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.